You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. Well, I want to welcome you to Lesson 9 in our 10-part series. So we're just, this one and one more, and we're done with 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And I am actually going to be doing 2nd John tonight. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to 2nd John... That is where we're going to be. You know, I've had some people ask me, you know, why do y'all do verse-by-verse studies? Why do you do, you know, these five weeks or eight weeks or ten-week studies on the Bible? Well, one answer is, well, what else are we going to do? You know, you, <laughs> until Jesus comes back, you, you read the Bible, right? I mean, but, but the second and probably the biggest reason that we do this is, is because you know, if, if we're going to proclaim to be followers of Christ, if we're going to be people who claim to follow after Jesus with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our minds, then it would behoove us to engage our minds and know what our master said. It's important for us as believers that we read the Bible. You know, it's amazing, but most Christians today know very little about the Bible. I have college-age interns that come into Leaders Academy and you'll be really, really surprised. Most of them can barely name six books in the Bible. Six books. They can get the Gospels. They usually can get Genesis and Revelation. All the rest is like, uh, hmm, wow. I, well, I know there's um, ecclesiastical or something like that. I don't know. But that's why we study the Word. And so we, we spent a number of lessons in First John, and we're not going to go back over that tonight. You can listen to our podcast. We're going to be looking at Second John. So let's just read this letter together, verse 1. This letter is from John the Elder. I'm writing to the chosen lady and to her children from whom I love in the truth and does everyone else who knows the truth because the truth lives in us and will be in us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace, which come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. Now, how happy I was to meet some of your children and find them living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. I'm writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. Now, this is not a new commandment, but one that we've heard from the very beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us. And he has commanded us to love one another, just as you heard from the beginning. Now, I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus came in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you receive your full reward. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God. But anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship both with the Father and with the Son. Now, if anyone comes into your meeting, like into your church, and does not teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give that person any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people becomes a partner in their evil work. I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to do it with paper and ink, for I hope to visit you soon and talk to you face to face, then our joy will be complete. Greetings 
from the children of your sister chosen by God. So John goes in to talking about be aware of apostate teachers. In other words, people who were teaching that Jesus was not the Messiah. He was not the Christ. He did not come in a physical body. He did not resurrect in a physical body. These, these teachers were teaching these false teachings, and that's why they're called apostate teachers. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, Be careful, because not only will they invade your church, you can also unwittingly allow them into your home, and they can ultimately invade your home. Now, Titus faced this. Titus dealt with this issue and this problem. Chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, Titus dealt with this. Timothy dealt with this in 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 6. So, So the church is not just a target for the devil. Our homes are a target for the devil. And I I think it's very important that we recognize this. Now, I'm not saying that the devil's going to come into our home armed with a gun or with a weapon. That would be a mistake to come in my house with a gun or a weapon because I have many guns and weapons in my home. I'm kind of like Jason Bourne. I got them in draw. I got them all over the place. So that would be a big mistake to come into my house. But, but we see John writing to this lady and to the people of the church, and they were meeting in her home. They were having church in her home, and she was being hospitable, which we're called to do. She was being hospitable to these teachers that were, were traveling. And so John is talking about a home church setting. This is what he's dealing with here as he's talking. And so the, the main thrust of this letter was to this godly woman not to permit false teachers to come into her home and teach something that does not line up with the truth. Now, this is so important. I was just in a conversation today with a young lady on the phone, and she was a young Christian. And she, she, she was telling me, Paul, listen, I love the Lord with all my heart. I am passionate for God. I love God, and I believe that. I I really do believe that. But then she went on to say that God told her to do something that was against God's Word. Now, that's a dangerous place to get yourself in. Now, it's very hard to receive correction when you are so sincere and wrong. But there is such a thing as being sincere and wrong. It's called sincerely wrong. Now, that's hard to take because you're so sincere about it. I mean, I'm, I'm so passionate about it. I, I'm, my whole heart's in it. Well, your whole heart's in it, but you're still wrong. Even though your heart's in it doesn't make it right. What makes it right? That it lines up with the teachings of the Scripture. Amen? And that is the way we always find our standard in life. Paul Kern does not find his standard off of any self-help books that I read. And I read a lot of them. And I think everybody, you know, leaders are readers. I tell everybody that. If you're going to be a leader, you're going to be a reader. So leaders are readers. Leaders read. But I don't ever, ever test what I'm reading over the Word of God. 
I test what I'm reading by the Word of God. So if it doesn't line up with what the Bible teaches, then I don't adhere to what is being said. Does that make sense? So here we see John. He's encouraging this woman about having people in her home and making sure that these people that come into her home are not false teachers. And obviously John had a feeling of friendship uh, toward this woman and her children because he writes with a lot of joy, but he also writes with concern and he writes with a warning as he's telling her. It's a very important letter for all of us to pay attention to who we allow in our homes and what's going on in our homes. Our Bible studies in our homes. Our church groups in our homes. You know, even home churches. You know, not you know, in the early 80s, that was kind of a big thing as the charismatic movement was taking off. There were a lot of home churches because there wasn't very many charismatic churches to be found. And, and I have to be honest with you, um, I discovered a lot of fruity, flaky, you know, like I call them cereal people. Fruit, flakes, and nuts, <laughs> you're right. I met a lot of people like that because they wanted the authority without the accountability. They wanted the power without the submission. And when we look at the Scripture, there is no such thing as authority without accountability. We're all submitted and accountable to one another, and that protects all of us, Amen. So you, you know, and y'all hear us talk about this all the time, but you want to have people, people in your corner that challenge what you think. You want to have people in your corner that, that challenge what you say and what you believe. Okay, that's good, but what, what does the Bible say? That's good, but what does the Scripture tell us? So I want to look at this letter, and we're going to break it up into three sections. The first section, verse 1 through 3, we must know the truth. First section, 1 through 3, We must know the truth. The second section, verses 4 through 6, we must walk in truth. So section 1, we must know the truth. Section 2, verses 4 through 6, we must walk in truth. And then the last section, verses 7 through 11, we must abide or live in truth. So we're going to look at these three sections. Now, the first one is we must know the truth. John used the word truth four times in the opening of this letter. The truth of Christ is a huge importance to John. And obviously, a reoccurring theme all throughout this book is light, love, truth. We see this happening over and over and over. But knowing the truth, church, listen, knowing the truth is way more than just nodding your head in agreement to what we preach here out of this pulpit on Wednesdays and Sundays. It's way more than that. You TC guys, knowing the truth is way more than you just nodding your head in a chapel service and you agreeing what, what, with what's being said. Does that make sense? It's way more than that. Because as we look at this, and it's important that we, that we pay attention to this, as we look at this, we have to understand that truth is something that we activate in our life. As a matter of fact, if we look the word truth up in the Greek, that word truth, I mean that word know, you shall know the truth, that word know means activated knowledge. The Greek word means activated knowledge. So in other words, it's it's a controlled love for the truth. It means that 
It means that not only am I going to hear the Word, but I'm going to activate the Word in my life, and I'm going to live out on Monday and Wednesday and Saturday night what I heard on Wednesday and Sunday morning. Can I have an amen? From the very outset of this letter, John confesses the deity of Jesus. John confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of God. From the very outset, he says, God the Father and Jesus Christ His Son. Now, the Jewish religious leaders denied the deity of Jesus. The Pharisees denied the deity of Jesus. And those were the religious leaders of the day. Those were the ones that were preaching the majority of the sermons and the messages. They refused to accept that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, what John shows us is that if Jesus is only a man, and that's what they were saying. They say, oh, you know, Jesus is a good person. Jesus is a religious leader. Jesus is a social reformer. Jesus is a, he, he helps the poor. But they would only ascribe to Jesus as being a mere man. But what we have to understand is, church, if Jesus is just a man, if he's merely a man, he can't save us. There's no way that he can save us if he's not God. He just can't do it. And if Jesus is only God, he can't save us. Because man is the one who sinned, and man is the one who owed the debt of death. So Jesus had to be both. He had to be 100% God and 100% man. Who owed the debt of death? When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, God said, the day that you eat of it, you will surely what? Die. Who owed the debt of death? Man. Who had to pay it? Man. Except man couldn't pay it because man owed it. And God couldn't pay it because God didn't owe it. So God said, here's what I'll do. I'll become a man. And then I'll go and I will die as a perfect sacrifice for the people, and I will pay the debt of death that they owe. Can I have an amen? So we have to know the truth, and we have to maintain the truth. And it's in the home where truth is established. Those of you tonight that are parents, and you have young kids coming up in the home, it's so important that you are teaching them the truth of the Scripture. Man, I can't tell you the number of Bible stories that we read at night as I put my boys to sleep. Every night we would pray and we would read Bible stories. And man, we'd read about David and Goliath. And we'd read about Moses and Noah. We'd read about Jonah and the well. We'd read about all these awesome stories. We'd read about Jesus healing people and, and preaching and delivering people and setting people free, teaching them truth. We have to know the truth. We have to maintain the truth. We, we teach a class here in our college internship at Leaders Academy called Family Life. And we cover different topics, the role of a husband, the role of a, of a wife, the role of a, a father and a mother. We cover all these topics and what a, a godly home looks like. Because a lot of young people, 
come from, and, and you guys from TC and Shalom, can, some of you can identify with this because I came from the same background. I came from a broken home. My parents divorced when I was much younger. There was a lot of alcohol and drugs in my home, so I didn't really have that modeled in front of me, and that was, I didn't get a lot of nurturing, and I wasn't taught a lot of things that I needed to be taught. So one of the things that we do here is we help establish those truths and those important things in the hearts of our young people. Truth is established in the home, and that's why we have to be careful of the Antichrist making his way into our homes. Now, let me give you an example. My parents were married for a number of years. My mom attended seminars that Miss Hetty Lou Brooks put on for a number of years, and, and one of the things that began to happen in my mom's life was she started le- reading less and less of the Bible and more and more newsletters and books by different authors. And all of a sudden, because you're not reading your Bible as much, you don't have a pattern or a standard to compare it to. Now, the the example that I'm giving you is going to be an older example because I'm an older guy, uh, but I just have this etched in my memory because I remember my grandmother, and some of y'all remember your grandmother. Uh, My grandmother sewed clothes and I used to go to the fabric store with her and she would buy a package that had a pattern in it and you you know dresses or pantsuits or whatever there'd be a pattern and so when you open this package up you would take out this piece of paper that would unfold and it was in the shape of a dress or whatever it was and and it had lines going around it so what you do is you take this pattern you would lay it out over the fabric and you would pin it to the fabric and then you would take your scissors and she would let me do it sometimes after you know she'd make something like a little circle or something when I was a kid because I'd probably mess the, (laughs) the pattern up so she'd give me something to do on but you know you cut around that pattern and then when you had that pattern cut, you had to cut another one because there's two sides, right? You can't just have the front, you've got to have the back. And so there's two sides to the pattern. So what she would do is she would unpin the paper, the original pattern, off of it. She would move it over, move the, the dress over out of the way, and then put the pattern back on. Now what a lot of people will mistakenly do is they'll take the piece that they cut and use it. But you don't take the piece that you cut. You have to stay with the original pattern. Because if you don't stay with the original pattern, after a period of time, you know, things are just going to kind of get weird. And that's what happens to us if we're not careful. The Bible has got to be the primary thing that you read. Because then you can weigh against what you're hearing. Like when I'm standing up here preaching, if you know the Bible... And I say something that I'm not supposed to say, guess what? Paul, you said something that you weren't supposed to say. And I've had some people over the years, and obviously, I I mean, I try to really pay attention to what I'm doing. But, you know, from time to time, something might slip or it didn't quite come out right. Or maybe I just missed it because I wasn't aware. And I've had a handful of people over the years come up to me and say, Paul, you know, when you said this, well, doesn't the Bible say right here? And I'm like, wow, yeah, it really does. And I was sincere but I was wrong. And so what happened to my mom was she got away from reading the Bible. She started reading more and more of this material, and there was some new age mixed in with it. Sounded good. Like the Scripture says, there's a way that seems right, 
It appealed to her flesh, it appealed to her emotions, but over a period of 10 years, my mom found herself immersed in the new age. Now, she never meant for that to happen. That was not her heart for that to happen. But what we have to understand, the devil is subtle. The devil is subtle. I've never heard of a heroin addict say, I just woke up one morning, I was completely clean, never touched drugs in my whole life, and I just decided I was going to go out and become a heroin addict. That's not how it works. It's subtle. It's a little puff. It's a little snort. It's a little sip. It's a little here. It's a little there. And over a long period of time, see, moral failure is rarely a result of a blowout on the road of life. It's a slow leak over a long period of time. And so John is saying that truth must be something that is important in our lives. Let's go to section two. We must walk in truth. Look at verse 4. How happy I was to meet some of your children and to find them a living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. I am writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one that we've had from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us, and He has commanded us to love one another, just as you heard from the beginning. So to walk in truth means you obey it. You allow truth to control you. It literally, it literally controls your life. Because the truth is, church, it's a lot easier for us to sit in the audience and agree with what's being said. But I, yes, I give mental assent to that. Paul, I agree with what you're saying. Man, I agree with what Josh preached last Sunday. Man, if you didn't hear Josh Barnett's sermon on the goodness of God last Sunday, you need to listen to our podcast. It was such a great word, and it was truth. But the truth is it's easier to sit here, study truth, debate truth, argue truth, but we have to live truth. See, we can't become believers that argue and defend the truth, but we don't obey the truth. And I've met people like that. Man, they will argue it, they will debate it, they will defend it, but then they'll go right out and do the opposite of what the truth says. You know, for example, let me, let me talk to our parents in the room tonight. It's very important for you that you live out your Christianity in your home in front of your children. Every day. They have to see it. For example, when the phone rings, hey, go, go look and see who, who's calling me. And they go and look at your phone. Dad, it's Mr. So-and-so. Well, tell him I'm not here. What did you just teach your child? To lie. We get home on Wednesday, and, and I, you know, I can't tell you the number of times that I had a long day, hard day, hot day, busy day. The last thing that I wanted to do was come to church. You think you guys don't want to come to church. You don't have to study for hours and stand up here and preach. You just, just get to come sit down and then leave. So don't act like, well, I don't want to come to church. Well, I don't want to come to church either. But with my kids as they were growing up, and you, you can ask my son Cole, it was never an option. When Wednesday night rolled around or when Sunday night rolled around, guess where we're going to be? Church. That's where we're going to be. See, our kids, 
they have to see it. You know, we put our kids in Christian school, but if we don't practice Christian teachings in the home, it becomes very confusing for them. Moms and dads want their kids in church, but they don't come to church regularly. That's a confusing message to send your children. The word commandment was used five times in these few verses. Five different times John used the word commandments. Now, commandments are the expression of God's love for us. Therefore, obedience to God's word reveals our love for God. That's what John says. You want to show God how much you love him? Obey him. Well, how do you, God, how do I show you I love you? You obey. You, you do what he says. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says, True love for God means obeying his commands, and his commands don't weigh us down as heavy burdens. As a matter of fact, God's commandments free us. I have never felt so free in all my life. You guys that are in TC and you guys that are in Shalom, I have never felt so free in all of my life. I'm so free. I don't drive around looking in my rearview mirror. I'm not worried about, you know, when I was growing up, some girl's dad come knocking on my door ready to shoot me or beat me up. I don't have to worry about it. I live free. I have freedom in my life. I live with a clean conscience. I live with joy. I live blessed because God's commandments have delivered me and set me free to live life. When we look at verses 5 and 6, John appeals to us to walk in love. Now, I want you to notice, and we were talking about this backstage, do you know that it is possible for you to command yourself to love someone? Got real quiet in here. But I, but I, I want to prove my point. The fruit of the Spirit is love. God is, help me, love, okay? The truth is, love is not a feeling, Love is a verb. Love is God. Love is not a feeling. Love is an act of the will. The Bible just said, God commands us to what? Love one another. It didn't say if you feel like it. And I have to be honest with you, there's lots of times I don't feel like loving on people. But I'm just so glad that I'm not a slave to my emotions and my feelings, I'm a slave to love. And so the Bible says that we can command ourselves to love. Now, you can't will an emotion. You cannot will an emotion. But you can will an attitude, and you can will an action that will influence your emotions in that direction. How many of y'all have ever done that? Like, you know, there's been times where I don't want to go... Like last night, you know, after dinner, I went to the gym and worked out, and I did not want to go. <laughs> I just, the chair at my house was comfortable. I did not want to go. But I willed myself to do it. I willed myself into a right attitude, and I got myself there, and I did what I did, needed to do. <clears throat> so the Bible's really clear. It teaches us that we are to return good for evil, Not evil for evil. Well, they did this to me, so I'm going to do this to them. Well, they said this to me, so I'm going to say this to them. Well, they pushed me, so I'm going to push them. No, see, love absorbs the push. 
And that's the powerful thing about love. Love changes everything. That's why Jesus was so powerful. That's why his life was so influential is because Jesus walked in so much love. So the Bible doesn't command us to act out of a feeling or, or an emotion because love is not a feeling or an emotion. As a matter of fact, verse 6 reveals that love and obedience go together. They're connected. So I can't say I love God. I can't come down to the altar and say I love God. I can't lift my hands and say I love God if I don't love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Even if I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter. Isn't that powerful? So there, there are three things that resonate together. Truth, love, and obedience. So it's by believing the truth in Christ and his word that we're saved. And the evidence of that salvation is shown through. How do, how, do, how do you know you're saved? You love people and you walk in obedience to what God says. That's proof that I'm saved. Well, are you saved? Well, I don't know. Do I act like it? Well, yeah, okay. That's proof that I am. Now, if, if I'm going around saying that I'm saved and I'm cussing out everyone I see, and I'm stealing from people, and I'm lying to people, and I'm, and I'm walking in bitterness toward people, then clearly I don't have Jesus living in me, because if I had Jesus living in me, Jesus would be flowing out of me, right? Sometimes my wife says, you need to go spend a little time with Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I will. Have you anybody ever had somebody tell you that? You need to go spend a little time with Jesus. Y'all kind of separated ways there somewhere. Y'all need to get back together. All right, section three, the last one, we must abide in truth. Verse 7 through 11. I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body, such a person, a deceiver, and antichrist. Watch out that you don't lose what you have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you receive your full reward. If anyone wanders away from this teaching, has no relationship with God, but anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship both with the Father and with the Son. If anyone comes to your meeting that does not teach the tr truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home. Don't give that person any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people must will become partners with them in their evil work. So John makes a shift here from encouraging to opposing error. He makes a shift here from encouraging us to walk in love to opposing error. So the word deceiver here means more than teaching false doctrine. It, it implies leading people into living wrong, living wrong kind of lives. Listen, what we believe determines how we live all day long. What you believe determines how you live, what you think about people, what you think about God, that's going to influence how you live your life. Wrong belief will bring about a wrong lifestyle. That's why it's so important that we believe the truth. So you have to live aware that just because people go to church, and I, I tell our interns when they come here, because they don't know anybody, they're from out of town, they're fresh, they don't know anyone in our church, and and. I, and I'll tell all of our churches, just because somebody attends church doesn't mean they're abiding in the truth. Now, that's what we're called to do, 
But that doesn't necessarily mean just because, well, you know, if I go stand over in my carport, that doesn't make me a car, right? So just because I'm standing there, that doesn't make me that. So we live aware that just because people go to church, that doesn't mean that they're walking and abiding in the truth. Now, in our church, we believe in the virgin birth. We believe that in our church. We believe that Jesus was born of a virgin named Mary. In our church, we believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. In our church, we believe that Jesus Christ was 100% God, and we believe that Jesus Christ was 100% man. In our church, that's what we believe. So we have to live and abide in the truth of Scripture. And the danger for all of us is losing what we've gained. Boy, I tell you, this is a huge motivation for me. A huge motivation for me every day is that I don't lose what I have worked years. I'm talking countless years to gain. And listen, you can lose it in one wrong decision. I've had leaders tell me my whole life, and you know, all you guys here, and this is just something good for all of us, you're one decision away from messing up everything. So you've got to live with an awareness and let that be a motivation to you. I don't want to lose what I've worked so hard to gain. Verse 10 and 11, if anyone comes into your meeting, doesn't teach the truth about Christ, don't invite that person to your home, don't give them any kind of encouragement. John warns this lady and her family, don't even visit with them if they're teaching something that is opposing the truth. Don't have anything to do with them. Now, hospitality was a very important thing in their day and time. It was huge. You know, think about it. They didn't have a lot of hotels. They didn't have a lot of restaurants. They didn't have all of the accommodations that we have today. So hospitality was a really big deal then. And the Bible encourages us to be uh, hospitable people. I've got a young man living in my house right now, Noah, that was up here on the drums. He lives in our home with us. Uh, right, right before he arrived, I had another young man that was living in our home for a year, and his name was Noah too. And, and, and the one before him, his name wasn't Noah, but I had one before him, and before him, and before him, and before him. And countless lives have come through our homes and, and lived in our homes. And the Bible calls us to be people who are hospitable. We're, we're encouraged over and over to open up our homes and, and to let people come in and to feed people and to bless people and have Bible studies in our homes. But we got to be careful, and we have to be wise. You know, I know a family that had a 17-year-old boy that they welcomed into their home in the name of helping him, and he got their 14-year-old daughter pregnant. So you've got to be wise. It's not just about being hospitable. It's about paying attention to what you're doing and being wise and walking in truth. See, we're called to be hospitable, but we also have to be wise. All right, let's wrap this up together, verses 12 and 13. I have so much more to say with you, uh, but I don't want to do it in paper and ink, for I hope to visit you soon and talk with you face to face. Then our joy will be complete. Verse 13, greetings from the children of your sister, chosen of God. Kind of the same closing that we see in 1 John, we see here in 2 John. John shows a personal concern for people. The fact that this letter is in the Bible, it's very interesting. This letter was written to one lady, and it made it in the canon of Scripture. And I think that speaks a lot to all of us, or or at least I think it should speak a lot to all of us tonight, is that this letter to a lady 
made it into the canon of Scripture, and we're reading about it tonight. And the reason I think it's important, because it shows the importance of the individual. People are important. The people that are in our lives, don't take them for granted. Pray for them. Thank God for them. Let them know that you appreciate them and you love them because that is what the Bible has called us to do, is to love one another. Amen? Did y'all get something out of this? Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. Stand with me. We're going to pray together, and then we'll dismiss. Hope to see you all Sunday. We're going to have a great day. Father, we just give you thanks tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. God, help us to walk in truth, to walk in love, to walk in obedience each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.